Hello, hello. Welcome to the Burrito Kind of Guy podcast, episode number five. This week, my guest is Craig Shea of the band Cold Rex. He also plays in Answering Machines. And uh, yeah, he's a rad person that I really like. So this was a fun but very long conversation, so the this introduction won't be very long. The sponsor of this episode this week is the Montreal band Beauregard. What is Beauregard? I don't know if I should pronounce it Beauregard. Beauregard? Beauregard. They are dedicated to the ultimate rock and roll destroyer master of punk rock. What does that mean? I have no idea, but you should check out their Bandcamp, B-E-A-U-R-E-G-A-R-D-M-T-L.bandcamp.com. It's going to be in the description of this podcast. Please check them out. They're a new local punk band from Montreal. Uh, give, 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 them, uh, give them a listen. Give them a listen, all right? And uh, yeah, let's go and chat with Craig. Woo! Uh, do you care if I drink during this? Oh, no, not at all. Uh, are you drink, drinking uh, rye whiskey? <laughs> uh, no, this is Jameson. I'm more of a Jameson drinker. The problem with rye whiskey is that it's a little too much. Mm-hmm. It is, right? I'm drinking uh, ginger beer. Is that, alco- is that alcoholic or is it just no, like it's, soda? No, it's, yeah. it's just soda. I found that um, out about ginger beer a few years ago in 2019. And I've always, I, I always thought that ginger beer was um, ginger ale, but it's not. It's, <laughs> it's, it's different. A, it's two different things. And ginger beer is actually pretty good, so uh, I like it. Um, so just so you know, in this podcast, there's like, um, I'm. <laughs> well, the plan of the podcast is not. It's um, it's more of a conversation, but there's like three different sections. And the mm-hmm. first one, we're going to talk about you. Um, and then we're going to talk about songwriting and creativity, which, by the way, got the book. Nice, you got it. Got the book. Haven't started um, reading it yet, but um, I got it, so it's cool. I have a story about the cover, if you're interested. I, I am interested. What's the story behind this cover? Well, it's all copyright infringement. It's all famous people and symbols and things like that. And he didn't license any of it, and he was hoping to get sued. He didn't, because one of the points of processing creativity, the book, is... To not worry about like plagiarizing or ripping anyone off or anything. It's to just try to make the best art you can. Interesting. Wow. Okay, now I can't wait to start uh, reading it. Um, Jesse Cannon. I saw that he mastered your songs, did he? Yeah, so Jesse actually, he did both Cold Rex albums. He's our producer, so we've worked with him pretty closely for a number of years now. Cool. And he's done like a lot of stuff so like there's a misfits logo on there and that's funny so he, like he, he's just like he's worked on everything with everyone like he his first big break in music because he's like in his 40s his first big break was he got brought in to be a producer for the misfits right after they added uh, uh who's the guy who saw michael graves <laughs> they added michael graves and uh they like they were just having they couldn't make any decisions as a band and they brought jesse in like yes he's a good producer he's good at like music and all that stuff but he can help bands make decisions and that's really like his big thing which you wouldn't think of as like a specialty but that's a specialty nice so he produced 
we're, oh, we're going to get there. Uh, we can get there. We, we can yeah, talk yeah. about Jesse later. <laughs> so, Craig, tell me, where are you from? Like, where were you born? And what year were you born? I was born in Queens in 1988, the day after Christmas during a blizzard. Oh, how did you grow up in, in Queens? No, I grew up on Long Island. So it's the suburbs, um, like east of the city. How, how was it to uh, grow up? Uh, do you say on Long Island? Yeah, Or we say on Long Island. That's a thing. Because uh, Long Island's the name of a place. So you're in a place, right? Like I'm in mm -hmm. Montreal. I'm not on Montreal, but you're on an island. You're not in an island. So even though it's just one of those funny language things. <laughs> And you're a language person, so you would pick up on that. Yeah. But I, I, I always get confused when I want to say uh, Long Island. Like on, on, you say on Long Island. Well, I have a song, Long Island, and the chorus is, I'm going to die at a hospital on Long Island. And oh, I've actually... see, I, I always, <laughs> like, I like that song. And I, uh, now that you mention it, I always, when I sing it, I always sing it, like, in, I think, in, oh, wait. No, maybe I say on when I so, sing. So, when I was writing that, like, the whole thing was, I like to say in Long Island because people get mad about it and it's grammatically correct. But for that song, it just, it just sounded kind of stupid. So I had to concede and do it the wrong way and speak in the language of my people and say, I'm going to die at a hospital on Long Island. <laughs> uh, how, how was it like to uh, grow up in, uh, is, it, is it considered a suburbs, like, of New York City? Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I guess you'd say that. Uh, it, it's not too far from the city. A lot of people, like, their parents would work in the city. Um, Long Island's an interesting place. There's a lot of good people, but Long Island's, like, literally built, like, the way it is now, literally built on segregation. Like, Levittown didn't allow people of color, um, didn't allow, like, Jewish people. So it, it was, and these are, like, really great, cheap houses for working-class people. So Long Island is set up. It's a really good investment because all these houses are now worth like $500,000. But when they're originally built, they're not that expensive. Working class people have access to them. And uh, anyone who's not considered like a white Christian at the time does not have access to these houses at all. So and that's how the city when, when is. When was that? When was that? Was that like in the... I think it's like the 40s, like post-war kind of stuff. Okay. Maybe 50s. I might be a little off on that. But it, it's built that way. But like all the town names are uh, Native American names and like... You think of, like, the Hamptons, like, where the Great Gatsby takes place, uh, that, that book, like, the setting of it, or it's supposed to be, like, the, the Hamptons. If you look into the history of that, that was all stolen from Native Americans not that long ago, like, late 1800s. Um, like, we, it's documented. It was stolen land, and now if those if those people ever try to, like, go back, like, their, like, law enforcement will, 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 like, give them a tough time, like, just trying to visit, like, their ancestral beaches and stuff. So there's a lot of bad history on Long Island that people like to ignore and pretend didn't happen, and it's not from that long ago uh and, and you know you definitely want to watch out for like that conservative long island attitude but there's also a lot of great artists there there's a lot of great music like there was that emo explosion in like the early 2000s bands like taking back sunday and the sleeping um yeah what else happened lots of music there's like a bit of a sky revival jeff rosenstock our one of our favorite joint musicians jeff rosenstock uh yeah, i was good i like um do you remember when we met Do I remember when we met? I remember the first time I heard about you. Our friend Seb. Oh. Our friend Seb from Oh My Snare. Because I was always into Pooza Fest, right? You book for this festival, Pooza Fest. I, I don't know. I think if he was running it now, I don't know if that's accurate. But it used to be like Hugo. Uh, he was the one. He was like the guy. 
mm-hmm. for like a, like for like the, at least the first five years. He was like the guy who like books it like the Tony like Tony books fast and Hugo books Puza fast. And then our friend Seb was like, oh, I know this guy Guillaume, and he also books for uh, Puza, and like that's how my bands get on now. And then to my knowledge, you're like the one who books most of it now. So that yeah, was the first time I heard about yeah. you. I would say I would say I book most of the small smaller bands. I, there's a team that there's like where three people booking. When did you start playing music? I started playing music when I was like a kid. I played viola in like my school's orchestra, but I started playing in bands when I was like 16. I asked my parents for a bass and they were like, you sure you want a bass and not a guitar? And I'm like, I think I want a bass because viola had four strings, bass has four strings. I'm like, it'll be the same. It's kind of the same. Um, And then I just wanted to play for myself. And then I was like, actually, I want to play in a band. And literally my first band uh, we needed a singer, and I found Mike Vizzy, who is my best friend to this day, who plays in Cold Rex with me. <laughs> How did you meet him? Uh, we went to school together. Um, most of Cold Rex is from Long Island. We went to the same high school. Uh, we had like a, I think we had in ninth grade had like lunch together, but we weren't that close. And then in tenth grade, we had a gym class together, and with this guitar player that I was going to be in the band. And he was like, oh, Vizzy, Vizzy was like, oh, sorry, I'm late. I, I was like, I was just in chorus. And I was like, oh, you sing? And he was like, yeah. And he didn't like punk sing at that time, but we were like running on the track for Jim and he like sang Basket Case by Green Day. And I was like, all right, you're in. Good enough. Amazing. Do you, what was the first band that you, that you started? It had a lot of names, but the first name we came up with was Syntax Error. Syntax Error? Yeah. Just like, like, uh, like it's like a coding issue. Like if you name something wrong, computer programming, uh, I would say Syntax Error. Like that's like an error you might get. That's what we named it. Okay. Very nerdy. Yeah, well, we're nerds, 100% nerds. We're not cool people. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've been told nerds are the the new cool guys, apparently. I hope so. That's all I got. Yeah. And and what was the name after that? The last name we had was Double Check, which is cool because we do this hand thing. Like, people aren't listening, can't see it, but I'm doing a funny hand thing, and Guillaume thinks it's funny. So just imagine it. Wow. All right. Uh, do you remember uh, what what got you? Because what the kind of music you're playing is, we can say it's punk to some extent. Yeah. Well, my favorite band, my first favorite band ever was a very popular emo band from Long Island that is super canceled. And I do not listen to them anymore. And any records I own by them are in a box under my bed called The Drawer of Regret. Oh, um, but I was really, it's, yeah, I was is, really into band one band. Called, is the band called Very Old? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that was like my first favorite band and I was so into them and like that style of music. I I guess I was into a lot of pop punk at that time in general, but I had like some friends in middle school who were into that kind of stuff and some of them played in bands and I thought it was cool and I wanted to do it. So it's, I just, I don't know. I just, I I always like music. I mean, it's not weird. Everyone likes music, right? (laughs) Yeah. Do you think there's any, um, context where it's, where it's okay to separate the artist from it's art like from their art that's a really complicated question right um i I don't feel like i have a definitive answer for people i feel like i can make choices for myself and i think that i i've heard that band um in like a bar or two since then i've never i've not consciously put them on but i like i've heard them in the background and it's just like it's like a joyless experience to me but the weird thing i was actually thinking about this earlier today like because I got into them at such a formative age. I like by heart remember so many of their songs and how mm-hmm. to play them on guitar and bass. Cause in high school, I would just spend time learning their songs on guitar and I don't play that much guitar, 
So they're pretty much the only band where like I know any guitar. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. So you know, um, but I don't. I don't listen if other people want to. If other people feel like it's okay, if they listen in a certain way, like if they just listen to the vinyl or if they have yeah. MP3s they pirated, you know, they could explore that's, that. But I don't know. Yeah, that's the way. That's a good way to see it because I. I well, I guess we all had this conversation uh, with people lately uh, because. When when I, I I have been trying to find the answer to that question, and what I realize is it depends so on so many factors and on so many people. Like for example, if I decide to listen to that band, uh, because I like if I had a record of that band, I decided to put it on and listen to the music and just enjoy the music without thinking about it, then I don't see what the problem would be. But me personally, if it was that specific band and I would listen to the songs, I would probably think. Oh yeah, I remember that song from when I was 12 years old, and I started listening to that band too. And I was like, oh, but like something would be wrong with it. Whereas, like I don't know, like like I've been told Frank Sinatra was like a, a big asshole, and and like some, <laughs> a some lot pe- of people in music, James well, Brown. Yeah, and and like some people have been telling me like, yeah, you shouldn't like we should cancel Frank Sinatra. I'm like, he's dead. Like, if I'm listening to. <laughs> like a Frank Sinatra song because it came on a playlist and I was like yeah I did it my way whatever like right. it's 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 at this point I don't think I'm I don't feel too much concern about this it's like bands or like artists that are active right now that it's more important to focus on I, I think so I think so. And then I think, you know, we are in this scene that's like very conscious of a lot of social issues. So I think we have this extra mm-hmm. responsibility. But I'll actually say I feel like bands that kind of make social issues their platform, if they later get called out for doing something bad, I think they have more of a magnifying glass over them yep. because they were speaking out against these things and they were no better than anyone else. So I think those bands kind of maybe put more of a target on themselves and bands that never talk about that stuff even if there's accusations, they don't stick because maybe the fan base doesn't care as much. And I'm not saying that's right or anything like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's tough. I, I just, for me personally, I don't listen to that band I liked in high school, but I understand that people have a nostalgic a- attachment. And I understand that there's a social element that like people met, you know, other fans and like that was very formative. So I, I think it's nuanced. Um, I, mm-hmm. I can only like speak for myself there. Definitely. Um, there's a, there's a word for that. I think in uh, I think it's the same word in English, probably pronounced differently, but uh, it just means uh, just means that the word is not uh, ma- manikane. Manikane? It's the. Uh, do you know what I mean? It's there's nuance. It basically means that uh, I, I'm pronouncing it totally wrong, but it's uh, <laughs> I, I, I should write it down and you're like, oh yeah, that's a. Well, spell it out for me. I'll, I'll write it yeah, out. Yeah, uh, mani. I know. I don't even know how to. Like pronounce. mannequin. Mannequin is that? Like with an H? I don't know. With an H? Like a mannequin is, um, you know, like you, see, mannequin, oh, you wrote it to me. Okay. Yeah. Mannequin. Mannequin. You probably know more words than me. I don't. Um, oh, yeah. It's a. Oh, wait. That's a religion. Wait. Is that the one that I want? Oh, yeah. That's basically what I mean. Uh, what I mean is the word, the world is not like that. It's not just like a duality between. Uh, like there's that and the conversation we're having right now it's a good example of that and i think that there should be more conversation about uh not being to um push to an extreme all the time well you know the world we live in is very extreme right now so there's that but uh, mm-hmm. i was talking with my therapist about that he has a book about how 
he was like, it used to be that like people would have different opinions and discuss stuff. And I don't know, maybe this is like looking at history with rose colored glasses, but he was like, it used to be okay to have different opinions and discuss them. And everything is so polarized. Now people start from like very opposing, I don't know. People start from like like polar opposites on things, but then I wonder: Are people like? Let's take a, a current issue. We're not even talking about music right now, but like critical race theory is this like like big thing in the U.S. Is it okay to teach it? I mean, it's it's just like a. I think the name is very polarizing. I mean, to me, history is history, and we already in the U.S. don't teach history well. It's very whitewashed. Uh, but like, someone was running for the school board in my town, and someone else was like, "Do you believe in teaching critical race theory?" And the person responded like. I don't like why are we starting from here like what let's like talk about issues actually facing the school right now what is what is critical race uh, theory or what is it Ooh, I feel like it, uh, if I had to define it without doing any research I would say it's like maybe it's looking a, at like it's a racist it, thing right it's like saying like that is it is it like is it a racist thing or it's the other way around? Like, it's is it not like... racist. No, no, no. It's the okay, opposite. Okay, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. It's like a critical race theory is an academic movement of civil rights scholars and activists in the United States who seek to critically examine the law as it intersects yeah. with issues of race and to challenge mainstream liberal approaches to racial justice. So like my girl, uh, my fiance just wrote a book. Uh, she read a book. <laughs> Thank you. She just read a book called The Color of Law. And there's a lot of examples of like the United States government, for example, like not lending to um, like black Americans, like not giving them mortgages. And over over time, now white people have built up generational wealth with their homes and black Americans do not have that same opportunity because they were the US government literally said, we will not lend to you because you're black. And like that history is not taught in schools. People just forget it. They're like, you know, people in the US are like, oh, racism is over. Like, I don't understand, just work it out. And it's like, you're ignoring <laughs> so much to say that and people don't even know. And then they give it a name like, you know, critical race theory is actually more of an academic name and now it's being demonized. But I mean, I, I, it's just the truth, you know, like how could you ignore the truth? Yeah, that, definitely. You just uh, got your master's degree in uh, with uh, teaching uh, second languages, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm actually teaching English in, uh, in a college. Awesome. Now, my, I, I, my, uh, my little sister actually has a similar degree. What she yes. teaches, like English, as a, a, a like a second language. It's not called that anymore. It's like a different no. name, but uh, maybe it's called as a foreign language. Like, you uh, know, like English. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't. I can't remember what it is. Like here, it, here we call it as a second language because I teach to French. Uh, well, Quebec kids, and uh, their second language is English. But when you when you teach in a multicultural place, you usually say it like English as a foreign language because it's like that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you don't know if it's their third or fourth language. Yeah, that's um, the thing. Some of the kids, it's not their second language. It's like yeah. their third or fourth language. But here, pretty much, there's their second <laughs> language. <laughs> um, do you uh, to go back? <laughs> yeah, I know. We're talking. It's supposed to be about creativity, and we're talking about like nuanced race discussions and canceled no, bands. I mean, that's that's what I, that's that's. I kind of like it. I uh, I like it. Do you remember the first song that you have learned on bass or on guitar? The first time I remember buying the bass and then having no idea how to play it and like having like an anxiety attack of like, oh no, I just wasted my parents' money on this thing. Uh, and it was like a two hundred dollar. It was like okay. a squire. It was like a squire. Actually, I still have the 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 little Fender Rumble and it's like twenty five watts that comes with it. That's still my practice amp. I still have that. Nice. Uh, the squire. I uh, our friend Danny had it for a while from Austria. She she played it for a bit and then she gave it back to me when she moved to Austria. And then when I was moving out of the, my South Brooklyn apartment, I just gave it to one of the movers. Cause uh, he was like, Oh, bass. Nice. I'm like, do you play? He's like, yeah. I'm like, do you want it? He's like, okay. Gave it to him. 
Nice. I didn't. You you probably know the thing. I mean, I see a lot of guitars behind you. you can, I have like all my guitars here. Um, I know the <laughs> thing where you just you know maybe you have too many guitars and you should give some away to people who might yeah, enjoy. Yeah, definitely. Them. I. Um... So what 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 was the first <laughs> what was the first song you learned? <laughs> Uh, the first thing I learned was like a blues scale. Like I remember not knowing anything, and the bass came with like a little thing that like here I don't know if it was tabs or what. I can I I can read music the way like a five year old can read. I'm like uh, one letter at a time. Um, just like so that blues scale. You, you were self taught. Like, yeah, I did buy a bass guitar for dummies, and I read through that, and I learned some stuff there. Um, I can't remember the first the first band me and Vizzy were in uh, the lead guitar player loved Oasis so we had to learn a bunch of Oasis songs and to this day me and Vizzy both hate Oasis because of it mm, interesting yeah so that must have been the blue scale I remember being the first thing I learned and then I can't remember the first song probably something by Oasis like maybe like but like a weird one like bring it on down by Oasis maybe that okay. I remember trying to figure that out and having trouble but probably like I remember like trying to learn like New Found Glory songs and like Motion City soundtrack songs and you, yeah what's the first song you have written do you remember first song i ever wrote I, I, yeah i do like, remember it you probably did not start writing songs when you were 15 or 16 because like when you play bass you don't like i don't know i don't when what, what was your first song i did i did start writing lyrics though so i didn't like figure out how to write good songs good songs i'm putting in quotation marks right now um in my opinion good songs i didn't figure out like how to take all of my like emotional pain and put that into music until i was 18. But when I was 16, 17, I just wrote the most ridiculous stuff. And me, I, me, I still have the demos of, of stuff we recorded in high school. It's super embarrassing. But the first song I ever wrote was called What You Want to Hear. And it was all about, like, how we're going to be a band to write music that you want to hear, which is not particularly creative or interesting. Kind of cool when you're 16, 17. That's and that nice. song had, like, a wah bass part, which is one of my biggest mistakes in life. Ooh. <laughs> I have a demo. I could send it to you after this. High school Vizzy is not the best. He's like he has pitch. It's like a little nasally. He hasn't figured out the growl thing he does now quite yet. Um totally good for high school though. But the the cooler thing me and Vizzy did in high school is we figured out in like eleventh and twelfth grade that if we had school projects and we could write songs for them, we'd just get like a hundred on the project. So I have like songs that like I wrote about Catcher in the Rye or like a song Vizzy wrote about um The Great Gatsby. And then I don't have it recorded, but me and Vizzy both took Italian in high school. So we wrote a song in Italian and played that for our class. That's amazing. I kind of want to hear the Italian song. It was about like, it was like a fantasy. Th it was about like, like a dragon in a cave. Like I think it had the word grotto in it somewhere. Is, is Vizzy an Italian name? Yeah, Vizzy. It's, he's, uh, it's, uh, I think it's, I think the name, the name I think is Sicilian. Vizzy is Sicilian. And also I think he's got some Northern Italian. Calabria, I want to say. Or cat, I, I don't know. Call it what, what about your Italian. last name? Shaywitz is, uh, I think it's a Polish last name. Like, uh, like our friend but, Danny, she was like, oh, she was like, I would say it like Shaywitz, but uh, you know, everything gets messed uh -huh. up in Ellis Island. And yeah, my family came over like 1918 okay. to the U.S. Presumably because they were Jewish people fleeing some sort of mm -hmm. like <laughs> religious inspired violence in Poland. Yeah, things were tense. Yeah, things are pretty tense. 1918, great time to leave Europe if you're Jewish. Yeah, good timing. <laughs> good timing, yeah. So it's when a lot of my family came over from Poland. Yeah. I'm a little Austrian also. But yeah, mostly Polish and a little Austrian, and that's it. Nice. So what was the name of, of your first band you said? It was... Uh... 
syntax error. We had a song, What You Want to Hear. We had another song. A bunch of us were camp counselors, and this dude... Um, there, there's a story they tried to scare the kids. They talked about like a deer man in the woods. He, like this guy, scientist performed experiments on people and deer, and he created a deer man. And so this dude wrote a song. It like wasn't a song. It was just a series of words. And then I edited it. I edited it into a song. Is it, so, is it like a centaur, or, or is it like? I know, picture it, him as like having a deer head and a human body, but he's also giant. But I don't. I don't know if we ever actually discussed it. And then the nice. guitar player put, in that band, yeah. he, he like ripped up, like he had Guitar World magazine and there was um, like a riff that was from a song by this band, the Bodines, and it was called Fade Away. And he just didn't know that was a song. He just used the riff. So our high school band like totally ripped off this song and it's kind of a distinct sort of riff. Um, but Dear Man's a very funny song. And to this day, our high school friends still request it. Nice. Uh Interesting. There's a there's a band. Do you know the band in the meantime, from Boston? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they have a song like this that they played when they were in their like high school band. Uh, that was called Many Snakes, and it's a very goofy song where I don't remember what's happening in the song. It's a ska song, and then in the chorus it goes punk rock, and in the chorus they just scream many snakes, many snakes, many snakes, many snakes. And uh, I think it's it's kind of the same. Like, it's, it's one of those, like... That oh, sounds way better than... Well, we don't play... Well, okay, we played it. Um, there's a couple songs that me and Vizzy still get made fun of for, for um, from high school. But we had a 10-year anniversary show a couple of years ago um, at a venue on Long Island. And at the very end of the show, we had all of our bands play. And at the very end, me and Vizzy... I played drums and sang, and he played guitar and sang, and we just played all of the terrible high school songs. But we played late, so all of our high school friends had already left. They're like, they're, they don't like often go to shows, so they're like, yeah, I'm not staying. So it was just for like, yeah. But I had uh, I brought Joel down once. Uh, like I brought down Bucky Harris, and and Joel came down also, and I got Joel a spot at this venue, and he just played all of his very silly songs. Like there's a song like Monsieur Caca or something like that. Wow, Mister Shit. This song? Yeah, no. Oh my god, it's a very silly song. It was a big hit at the bar. Um, yeah, it was fun. And then Bucky Harris played and everyone loved them. Another Montreal nice. band. Do you do you, do you play shows with uh, Syntax Era? Do you do you remember <laughs> your first show? Yeah, it was at a venue in Comac, the town we're from, and it was at this venue called Rose and Sage, which is this cafe that these two like this hippie couple, um, like you still have like Pink Floyd and stuff. They ran this cafe and they had a room where they had events. And um, I don't know who I... I probably knew people through, like, Hebrew school or something like that that were, were booking a show, and, and we played... I used to wear a Viking helmet at shows in high school. Like, I didn't know what I, I was I remember doing. seeing pictures of you with a Viking helmet, yeah. Yeah, it was high school. Um, so, yeah, but that was just, like, nonsense stuff. That's not actually creativity. What I later learned was I can take all of my emotional pain. I wrote all these great notes before this podcast and they just left my brain because I'm excited to see you. You look great. I love the mustache. You just came from a music video shoot. That sounds really cool. Yeah. Um, you... So I just, I just got totally distracted by your charm. Uh, we'll get there. We'll get to uh, the first part of this podcast takes a lot of time right now, but it's not unless you're, <laughs> you, unless you're telling me like, I'm in a rush. I need to leave soon. It's like still COVID times. Like, what am I going to, yeah, I got to go see a movie and then go to a bar. Like, I don't have any plans. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess I could. New York is 70% vaccinated. Everything's open. But like, I'm not just comfortable all of a sudden. So I'm going to stay yeah. here and I have plenty of time for you. 
when when did you play your first solo show Ooh, my first solo show the first time i played was the catcher and the rye song i wrote for my english class and i borrowed a guitar from one of my neighbors and it was an ovation guitar so if you're like a, a guitar player ovation have the bodies where when mm-hmm. it, it like sticks against your body it like moves up it's super annoying to play but i borrowed that and i i just pick i wanted to pick chords i didn't always hear so it was like e major to c major to a major which is an interesting sound and um yeah it was all about like being um what's his name from capture and the rye and just like holden being kind of a caulfield rock. holden caulfield yeah that's the name um <laughs> that was the first time i played in front of anybody and i was very nervous and i hadn't been singing that long because i'm not historically a singer and then a girl in my class asked if i wanted to be famous and very punk rock of me at 16 or 17 i was like no <laughs> So you want to be famous? Do I want to be famous? I was like, no. I don't know what I wanted at that point, but I didn't care about being famous. Yeah. If you would have asked me like 10 years ago, like 15 years ago, I would have said like, I don't know. But if you ask me now, I'd be like, no. Now I might <laughs> say yes, because I think I'm like in my 30s. So I think fame now, like, I think if you, yeah, you think- could handle fame now, yeah. Like, but like, I, I think it's like, you know, we talk about like, you know, problematic pop punk bands and a lot of these bands were very famous, very young. And I imagine there's like no adults in the room making sure that they're like making mature, good decisions. I can't think of anything worse than giving like a kid a lot of power like that. It's, it's almost a recipe for disaster. Like, I'm mm-hmm. glad I had time to like, I mean, I don't have like fame or anything, but yeah. I get to do all the things I want in music. I don't have any regrets. So, so that was your first kind of solo performance. But when did you start like? Because, like, you released, during the pandemic, you released, like, a few solo singles, you can call I did. So when did you, like, when did you make the decision, like, hey, I'm going to start to play, to record solo songs? I think that playing acoustic is, like, a different thing. So I learned how to really write and play acoustic and solo uh, in college. I went to I went to school in this hippie town in, like, upstate New York called New Paltz. And yeah. there was, I liked it because there was all these like coffee shops and open mics and things and like all these hippies up there. So every week I would go to uh, this place that was called the Muddy Cup. It's not called that anymore. And I would play every week. I had a roommate in uh, my, uh, my first year of college who was also into music and he would get competitive with it. And he was like, let's see who could play more shows. And I destroyed him without even <laughs> trying. So easy. That dude was such a jerk. Whatever. What did you, what did you study? Uh, I have an economics degree. <laughs> Everyone thought I was a music major in college. I did a lot of like music type extracurricular activities, but I have an economics degree. And I, I like that. Uh, I don't know. I think that if you only do music, it's kind of hard to write things that are interesting. And I think if you do other things, you have like a different perspective that you could bring to music. Definitely. I think the best albums um, came out of artists that were uh, not making money with their arts yet, I think. Yeah, I think people takes... facing adversity, maybe with a different, interesting perspective or viewpoint, or people who are not afraid to try something. Uh, I think in I think in Processing Creativity by Jesse Cannon, they talk about, I think Thrice. I think someone from Thrice talks about how their second album, they kind of rehashed their first album, and he regretted it. Because he was hmm. like, we were trying to appease our fans, and he was like, maybe if we had just like taken a bigger risk... Like part of, like one of the points of that book is that if you if you just really try to do what you think is best and don't care about what your fans will think, and not like as like an fu to fans, but like really just like if you really just try to do what you creatively think is best, 
even if it's not successful over time you'll be happier with the results than if you just tried to make music for other people you should never try to make music for other people that's how people make the worst music hmm. interesting i have you've had a ska band right you've had oh yeah that's how we learned everything me and busy and cj and tan from uh called rex played at the end of our ska band it's called eli whitney and the sound machine our who's, first who's huh? eli whitney i googled it and i was like who's that guy Oh, he's a real piece of shit. I regret that name so much. Um, okay, <laughs> Eli Whitney, okay. uh, if you were an American, were taught in schools. He was this uh, inventor. He invented the cotton gin, which uh, was a real bad thing for a lot of people. Uh huh. And uh, he also because invented it helped, the, like it helped process cotton. He made uh, slavery very profitable. Okay. Which was real bad for a lot yeah. of a lot of people. Um, definitely regret naming a name uh, naming a band after that guy. At the time, we had not really thought about those things and reflected. But it was just, it's just a name that Did you think it any... was funny? Did you think, like, Eli Whitney would be, like, we, what, was it funny, or I don't know? It was, it was, it wasn't funny, it was, it was, well, the name itself, it was Eli Whitney and the Sound Machine, and the name itself was, with, and the Sound Machine is funny, because he didn't invent a sound machine, but, like, <laughs> if, when you're an American, you, you just learn he's this inventor, he invented the cotton gin, and he, uh, what else did he do? Like, he invented the idea of interchangeable parts, which is great for capitalism and manufacturing but like when you actually look into it critically the cotton gin was terrible for a lot of people um and then he also he spent a lot of his life just like suing poor farmers for stealing his ideas to build similar machines and he also like lost a lot of those court cases so he was just a real real piece of shit and i don't know why we teach him in schools <laughs> but uh the name was in our head and every band name is ultimately bad Actually, I do think Lost Love is a pretty good band name. You, you did a pretty good job on that. But uh. <laughs> thanks. Finally, it took it took eight years. Finally, someone is saying this. Nice. Lost you know Love's how a great band name. Like because the, the shirt just it's just a great shirt. It says Lost Love. It's a great thing on a yeah. shirt. Uh, you know how we picked the name? Mm -mm. We had a few different uh, ideas, and if I tell you the other ideas, you'll be like, oh, definitely Lost Love was the best one. I mean, I could tell you, Cold Rex, like, we have a, I have the list. It's a hundred names, and they're all terrible. Wow. I remember, like, a few names. Like, there was Lost Dogs. There was uh, Rambling Dogs, Rambling something. Rambling Dogs is good, actually. But uh, Lost Love was, like, I was in a phase of my life where I uh, did not have a job. I My uh, high school girlfriend and I broke up. We, we were together for, we had been together for five years. Uh, I, so I dropped out of school for a few months. There, there were like student strikes uh, hmm? in Quebec. It was a big thing in 2012. Hmm? And um, there was like there was nothing in my life except like, hey, I'm like, I I, I want to start a band. So I was like, Lost Love is cool because it's not to me. It was not like Lost Love. Oh, my girlfriend dumped me. It was like I kind of lost the love for life for well it sounds very depressing like this but I, like i kind of lost the love for um a, a future like for like a getting a job getting to school getting to getting the motivation to do anything and i was like cool lost love that's it that way it's such I, a heartbreaking name with the explanation it's a heartbreaking yeah. name anyway that's actually why i think lost love is a great band name because like it could mean anything to anybody it's yeah. such an open-ended thing and then hearing the story makes it even like sadder and more meaningful thank you for sharing that yeah, which is weird now because I'm uh, very happy uh, in my life and we, I still have a lost love. I, yeah, I you thought a, you I had thought a cool life. You, you do like I love like you doing like this, uh, the, you know, the French music and you leaked it yeah. to me early and I just think it's so good. 
that's another thing with Thank music you. is that melody is more important than lyrics and it's I, I get it we're all punks and lyrics are important but actually for songwriting melody is more important and that, that killed me to learn but like that's part of I, I loved your French music great melodies um and I don't know what you're saying I, I hope it's not terrible I assume it's probably pretty nice but I think that's super cool Lost yeah. Love is cool your solo stuff is cool Puzo Fest stuff is cool your girlfriend's super cool yeah. So you're doing pretty well, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Thank I think. You. <laughs> From following you on Instagram, you seem to be doing pretty well. Yeah, I'm. I'm all right. Um, so you're playing in Cold Rex, and you're yeah. playing in Answering Machine right now. Uh, and and after almost 50 minutes of of talking about various things, we're gonna I'm so dive. Sorry. <laughs> no, that that's good. <laughs> the you first... can just cut it all out. What is your songwriting process? Okay, I write out notes for this. This is going to be the only cohesive part of the interview. <laughs> okay, so creativity, the theme of this podcast. It's well, this. Oh, well, I wanted to talk about songwriting first. Like, what's. But if you want to. You guys trust me on this. I'm going to go. We're okay. going to talk about songwriting. Because that's, that's really that's the only. That's most of how I'm creative. Okay, cool. So, creativity is this magic thing. And like, there's like best practices and good habits, but there are ultimately no rules and no right way to write a song. So when it comes to songwriting, I think it's important to be open-minded. Like um, in high school, me and Vizzy both did improv and in improv, you're taught to do like, yes and, like you just say yes to things and build on them. That kind of mindset's important. Um, so you're asking about my songwriting process. Yep. So I, I write about three good songs a year and here's how I do it. <laughs> I, maybe I write more songs a year, but I think I think I write three songs that I like every year. Cool. So usually it happens because I'm processing something that I'm unable to communicate in a normal way. So I have to, because I cannot communicate it with my words normally, I have to write a song. I am compelled to write a song. I cannot just say it. Um, so I'll start writing lyrics, um, and I might come up with a melody right away, and I'll sing it into like the voice memo app on my phone because I'll forget the melody. And like it's so, it, like hearing that melody brings me right back to where I was when I got the feelings to write. So you song. start with the melody. I'll start with like a line. It's kind of like the same thing. Like a, so I wrote a whole song recently around the line, "I don't want to buy you a soda," and that line ultimately did not make it into the song, but I just thought of like, "I don't want to buy you a soda." I don't wanna buy you a soda, and I wrote that. Yeah. You know what? It it really uh, reassured me because sometimes I write the like because I have different uh, ways of doing it, but sometimes when I write songs, I say the dumbest shit in yeah. English, and and when and and sometimes it's not grammatical at all. Sometimes it's like uh, the ceiling. It doesn't matter though, because, like Britney Spears, yeah. hit me, hit me, baby, one more time. What does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. Hit me, baby, one more time. But it's a great song, and we all know it because ultimately lyrics are not important, which kills me. I'm a lyrics first person. I care so much about lyrics and meaning and intent. But when you look at the data, it's not about that. It's about the melody. Yeah. Cool. So you start with a line, and then you build a like a melody. Do you? When do you pick up an instrument? Well, as soon as I can. So I think I don't want to buy you a soda. I think I was maybe driving when I came up with that. And I was like, I probably asked my fiance, like, hold up my phone. I have to sing something. Oh. <laughs> I felt I felt that I had had a conversation with someone that was inadequate. I felt that I had not expressed myself and it really bothered me. So it started with the line. I don't want to buy you a soda. A line ultimately cut from the song doesn't fit the rest of the song. 
doesn't really say it doesn't make sense to other people, but it has enough emotional meaning to me. I don't want to buy. I don't. I don't want to buy you a soda. Oh, okay. I would buy you a soda. Okay, but who who (laughs) don't like who's the person you don't want to buy a soda to? (laughs) That's personal. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Uh, we we could talk off podcast. Uh, cool, some things yeah. you get to keep for yourself, but oh, definitely, I'm down. I want to know. <laughs> Ooh, the mystery! But that's how I started this song, right? And I sang yeah. it into my phone, and I had, and I, I wrote the rest of it around that. Um, and this is actually it's very fresh because this is like the the newest song that Cold Rex, my band, has worked on. So okay, so I get home and I have this line. I don't want to buy you soda, and I write as much as I can around this line there's a thing called being like in the zone or like in flux in flow in flow yeah yeah it's just like this it's it's like you're just not distracted you can just focus i did my master's thesis on the theory of flow and um speech production in your second language i i read like uh, a lot about the the flow theory and that but it might some people might call it the flux actually I, I, I mean, in the zone is like I think how a lot of like Americans might say it. I think flow might be what even like Jesse Cannon calls it in his book. Yeah, but it's this state where you're just like focused, and I'm really bad at focusing most of the time. Mm-hmm. And there's like some best practices, like some writers write in the morning every morning, because like like after work you're tired. But it's like weird. I kind of work better when I'm exhausted, honestly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. But there's that idea in flow, right? You're talking about it. So like that, it's a thing. We all acknowledge it. Sometimes you're like, it's, just... it's that moment where you do something that you love so much or yeah, usually something that you love that you don't see time. Like you don't, your mm-hmm. uh, time passes too quickly. It's, uh, it's, I was so uh, intrigued by this concept when I started my master's thesis that was like, oh, that needs to be my subject. And I read so much about it. It's like, and how to put yourself in this like mm-hmm. zone. It's like, there's like four main elements. Like you need to have the, the right amount of challenge for the right amount of um, skills. You need to have a, a little bit of control over what you're doing. Um, just, I didn't know any of that. For me, it's all yeah. about not having distraction. Yeah. But there's another thing that I believe in a lot, which I think is an interesting theory, and I don't know if it's scientifically sound, but it's the idea of ego depletion. And that idea is that you can only make a certain amount of decisions in a day. So if you only ever try to be creative, like after work, for example, you're already, you've already made a lot of decisions during your work day. So you're not going to be able to make a lot of good creative decisions because you've already spent a lot of your ability for that day to make decisions. Do you, do you ever write songs with... The whole band? Like, do you like let's jam and then you write a song together, or do you? Uh, rarely. Ra- so, um, the closest I think we've actually come to that is um, like uh, so. Colorex is a song called Light that I wrote all the lyrics to the song and I wrote the music and I'm not I'm not that good with coming up with interesting music. It was just like a C G A minor F bullshit song and I had no feelings towards it and it wasn't that good. And then uh, Matan was like just warming up and they'll do this thing sometimes where they just like noodle to warm up and it's sometimes really good. And I'll be like, play it again. Like everyone shut up. I'm recording this because we'll forget it. Play it again. And Light is like, a, I think it's like a three chord song. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, it was just a thing that Matan was noodling on. And I just changed my song to revolve around these chords. So that's like, 
the closest I would come to jamming. Usually me or Vizzy writes a complete song in some some acoustic format. So it's like where my solo career comes from. Um, or like, you know, whatever. But like, we'll, we'll write an acoustic version of a song and we bring it to the band. And then the band has a lot of ideas. We try all of those ideas. And we'll put things to votes if we need to, but we'll try everything. It works or it doesn't. Usually we're in agreement. I think the biggest thing you could do with as a band to be a good to write good songs is to demo before you actually record, which is, could be expensive and cost prohibitive. I totally get it. Even like a like a shitty demo is good, but because you don't know how things are gonna sound on a record, even when you're playing live, you still hear what it's gonna sound like in your head, and that's yeah. not you can't make a good decision that way because it's not gonna sound in your head the way it does on a recording a lot of the time. I think that producers are really good at knowing how things are all gonna sound. That's exactly where I was going to go with. Uh, let's let's go back to talking about Jesse uh, Cannon. Hmm? Like, he, yeah, he produced um, the two like the two uh, Cold Cold Rex LPs, mm -hmm. right? Uh, what's his job? What is he doing? Like, the, does he work with you when you're doing your pre-production, or do you? Uh, how how do you work with him? Yeah, so like we don't like automatically make the decision to do every album with him, but we decided to do. So I mentioned I was in a ska band, Eli Winnie and the Sound Machine. We learned how to like tour and write songs together. It was the first time we worked with a producer named John Graber, who you've met. He was the, he was just like a friend of ours who like was the first person who like told us how to like write and speaking, work on songs. Speaking of which, John, I just found out like I just started following him on Insta Instagram because it's been mm -hmm. like I met him like in Brooklyn and uh, yeah, booked a show with both of you, yeah five years ago now mm -hmm. oh shit maybe something yeah, like that it's been a long time uh yeah. and and i remember like uh, i really liked the guy it was like a cool cool dude from what i remember so i saw like in, on instagram it's like like oh you might know this guy and i was like mm -hmm. oh yeah i remember the guy and i followed him and i looked at his thing and it was like he worked with no effects uh, he's producing the no effects record yeah, yeah he's I'm also like, yeah, he does a lot of stuff with goldfinger too yeah, he's doing pretty well for himself. He does all of the We Are The Union stuff. And he actually, yeah. on the records, he plays, like, third guitar in We Are The Union. So, like, there's an inside joke of, like, let John play third guitar in We Are The Union. <laughs> nice. Um, John also, he's the banana guy in one of the We Are The Union music videos. But, yeah, I've known him forever. John was in my first favorite band. John actually inspired me to be in bands. When I was 16, I saw his high school ska band called The Homecoming Queens. And they have, they were just, like, People like their trombone player like literally plays with like Taylor Swift now. Like he's a professional musician. Yeah, they were really good. They were always really good. They were always better than everyone else. They were just very talented. And like like I remember seeing like the Homecoming Queens play when I was sixteen and thinking I want to do that. And like I'm still friends with John to this day. So John's John's producing the new NoFX record, and there's a lot of interesting stories. I don't know if I'm allowed to tell about how he got that job. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think I think part of how I got it was that John is John is sober, so I think that was appealing to the band that to have like a sober producer. Oh. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. But well, at least about, for this record. Hmm? So let's go back to Jesse uh, Cannon. Like, yeah. Do, okay. How, so John, how, how, how do you, uh, yeah. yeah, how do you work with him? I we chose to work with Jesse Cannon because he did the album uh, Temple of Plenty by the band Somos and. To me, that's a 10 out of 10 record. It sounds completely amazing. The songwriting is completely amazing. It's just a perfect record, in my opinion. And I, up to that point, felt like I never made a perfect record or anything that even sounded that good. Like some, sure, things that had heart and were like fun and cool that people could listen to, but nothing that was like truly like a great record. So like, hey, there's this guy, Jesse Cannon, he can make perfect records. Not all the time, but there's the possibility. And that was appealing mm -hmm. to me. 
So we sent him. So he was like, you guys should change your name. <laughs> yeah. And we were already name? kind of, huh? What was the name? Before it was Eli when he, Eli when okay, he was okay, okay, still, okay, yeah. Switch. Okay, that's when you switch. Okay. I yeah, thought for Eli, a second that it was, I remember Sketchy, You like some of you were playing Sketchy. That was a different band that me and Vizzy played in. Yeah, okay. Um, and we're still friends with most of them. Yeah. <laughs> we played uh, Pooza. Yeah, I, I, I think I remember that. And and yeah, so continue with uh, what you were talking about. Sure, sure. Yeah, so uh, Jesse did this uh, Somos album that I thought was perfect. He's worked on like an unbelievable amount of music. Like he has stuff like he's the archivist for like the Ramones and the Misfits, like just the coolest dude ever. Like he just all these cool jobs over the years. But like his real thing is Jesse is he's a very he's a very open and honest person in like a very sincere way. And he's very smart. Uh, he managed like man overboard. He came up with the phrase defend pop punk, which I believe he regrets dearly. Terrible phrase. Defend pop punk. Yeah, that was Jesse because he managed man overboard. Uh, he did the first Menzingers record. I'm a big Menzingers fan. He did oh, really? The first, yeah. Uh, the, uh, was it Abuse in the Age of Information Technology? Yeah. He also did the old Hold On Dodge EP. Yeah. So he's done all this stuff. Or he's like, he also masters a lot of stuff. Like if you look into Epitaph and Fat Wreck, like Jesse's, I, I guess like the thing he's most famous for is mastering records. So even if you don't record with him or mix with him, like you get your stuff mastered by him. He's like just really good at it, especially for pop punk. So we asked if we could work with him. He said, Yes. We had this new band idea, Cold Rex. We had all these songs we wanted to write. We've been working on for like a couple of years. And yeah, uh, Jesse, he does a great process. He works really, really quickly. He's just a smart guy and he'll just tell you what, what he thinks. So I think we sent him demos. He gave us notes. We made a lot of those changes and then we actually came in to record with him. Then he mixed and mastered. And uh, yeah, he's just like so good to work so with. So I, I guess he sends you like, he sends you notes, but it's very. Uh in your face like he's very honest about everything and how how was it to have someone like from outside the band telling you like hey this is shitty this is good this is shitty like so pre john graber i would have hated that but john graber our friend like like he taught me like you're not always right it doesn't matter how you wrote the song it only matters how the song comes out which is true so mm -hmm. by the time we got to jesse as a band we were already kind of open to that sort of thing so it's I don't actually I don't feel like Jesse Cannon's in your face. I think it's just like, oh, that's good okay. advice. I'm glad he said that. I'm glad we tried that. I think we probably agree with most of what he says. Probably not everything. Like I think you ultimately have to trust your gut. Mm -hmm. But most of what he says is right. Like our joke with Jesse is if you disagree with him and record something wrong, like he'll do it. And then later, like he'll charge you to fix it because you didn't listen to him. And he's working more, which he didn't have to do if he just like the first Colorx album. We brought a trombone into the studio. We played two notes. Jesse was like, nope, next song. More trombone. Nope, next song. <laughs> like he said, like no, why? we listened to him. It just it, he's like the record. He's like, it doesn't need it. So our first record was breaking. He's like, these songs don't need trombone. He's like, these are like raw rock songs. You don't you're not going to get anything. He wants to use like he's not like a minimalist necessarily, but he's like, don't add things just to add things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with that. Do you um, do you write? You, so you write songs. Mm -hmm. You mentioned you were writing songs about like uh, things that you were feeling in inside that you were having a hard time expressing. Yeah. Any other ways? Do you? Because sometimes there's there are people who write more about their emotions. Other people are writing about politics more. Have you mm -hmm. ever written any songs about politics, or do you keep it emotional? 
I have t- <laughs> I have like one political song that I wrote, but I, I don't know if I'll ever actually like record and release. I think that like my big take, I think like Joe Strummer was really good at writing political songs. There used to be a band called The Riot before that was good at it. I think a lot of white people are not great at writing political songs. People get really heady about it and there's no emotional resonance because it's not emotional for them. They're not in it. They're not living it. Whereas I think people of color or like any marginalized group could probably have a, a perspective to write about something political and actually like add an emotional edge to it. What do you think of Anti-Flag? I like Anti-Flag. Okay. They did a pretty good job. Um, yeah, maybe like a little heady sometimes, but I don't know. What do I know? <laughs> Great right. band. Uh, do, um, what what influences your songwriting? Like, do you, is there? Could you say like, do you get your influence from mainly music, or do you sometimes watch a movie and you're like, well, you mentioned Catcher in the Rye, but that was like mm-hmm. a long time ago. But do you sometimes like read a book, watch a movie? or I don't know, uh, listen to something, uh, to a podcast and you're like, oh shit, I need to write a song about this. Sometimes songs make me feel that way. Sometimes when I'm writing, I'm listening to a song and I'll put, I'll play that song on repeat so that I, I don't lose that vibe. But part of Processing Creativity by Jesse Cannon, which we were discussing earlier, is that uh, he's like, don't worry about copying other people or, or being too derivative. He's like, just try to write the best song you could write. Because I think maybe you've done this. Have you ever tried to like write a song where you try to copy someone else and then the end result doesn't sound like that person at all anyway? Uh, well, there's this thing with uh, Lost Love where I could, I could probably take every song that I've written with Lost Love and tell you this was influenced by this song. And you would be like, all right, I don't see it. Like nine times out of 10, you would not understand what, like how it came to that. Like the voice is different. The recording's different. Yeah. The, like you There's- had other people in your band who changed things. Like it's just, I think it's, it's actually kind of hard to copy people. Like even if that's your intent, it's probably not yeah. going to come except out that the way. First, yeah, except the first song on the, um, that's one of my most regrettable, thing is the first song on the last lost love album i know exactly what song you're yeah, talking about that one is like so similar <laughs> yeah it's 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 a mistake uh three years after that i can tell it's a it's a mistake uh not a mistake it's an error different than a mistake you could say that but like to me yeah. the re- so i'm like i'm a i'm a music listener i like jeff rosenstock i like your band i hear this song and like this sounds a lot like one jeff rosenstock song like a lot of it mm-hmm. but that was kind of fun. I don't know. Like it did. Yeah, did it but ultimately... the, the the error was putting it first on the on that album. That was the error. Oh. It could have been at the end, and I would have been like, ah, whatever, it's there. But now it's like the first of so people. Like it's 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 there. So I'm like, ah, all right. I'm not like I'm never gonna. Like we have a new album coming out this fall. Hmm? Oh, you should check that. Lost love. Yeah, it's nice. all record. It's all recorded. LP number four. It's the best thing we have ever done. Who plays uh, on it? What? Who plays drums on it? Uh, Vinny. Okay. Yeah. Okay, because like sometimes you have different people for touring. I didn't know. Is Joel yeah. on it at all, or is he not on the record? Who? Joel? Uh, no, he's not. He's not there. That's okay. That's yeah. okay. Um, yeah, it's more. Um, it's more punk. It's more. Uh, there's a sense of urgency in that in that record. I can't wait to. Uh, well, we released a single, and when this, when this podcast will be out, there will be another one. But. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, what was I talking about? Oh, God, I get so distracted, uh, which is why it's hard for me to write songs. <laughs> uh, you, you were talking about oh, uh, oh, copying oh. people. Yeah, mm-hmm. copying people. Yeah. 
that's not, because of that lot love song the first one on good luck rasco i'm like i don't want this to happen again so now i'm more more careful also when we recorded that album we um we worked with hugo muti who mm-hmm. um the main thing was like hey whatever song we i write like i bring it to the band and then mm-hmm. hugo was like now play it again but try to make it sound like your weezer <laughs> that's the thing though that's the thing that means something in a studio but this yeah. Like the song Long I, Island that I don't know if I don't think you're recording yet. We talked about my song Long Island. That was one where Jesse Cannon's like, "This is a Weezer song." Add fuzz to the bass. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the the new album that we recorded, I I think I didn't tell the other the, the other the other guys in the band, but I I thought let's make it sound like a Joyce Manor song all the time. Nice. It, it doesn't sound like Joyce Manor at all. The only thing that's sim- similar is the length of the album and the length of the songs. That's great. 20 it's minute a, album, 10 songs. I'm into it. I can't wait to hear 20, it. That's, yeah, it's 20 minutes and 12 songs, 13 songs. It's like, it's very The cool. first Joyce Manor album, like that was such a big thing when it came out and the band doesn't like how it sounds, but I love how it sounds. I don't know if you know, the, the drums and the bass on that were recorded like analog, like to tape and everything else was digital and they regret oh. that. But I love that first Joyce Manor record. Yeah, I love a lot of their records, but that first one like hit especially hard. Definitely, it's the album. Like it came out in 2011, right? I remember because like that was kind of the end of the glory days of like punknews.org, and that was it was huh. controversial because that was the same year Vacation by Bomb the Music Industry came out, and Vacation was the fan favorite album of that year, but Joyce Manor was like the the punk news favorite album of that year, and it's very controversial. But yeah. you know, music's not a competition, so who cares? Uh-huh. I listened to that album a lot in 2011 when I. Because I moved to Montreal in 2011, and I was walking from my apartment to university. It was a 25-minute walk, so mm-hmm. I had time for like five five more minutes of other things. And I was like, "Oh shit!" So it, it was, was perfect, uh, right? You're like, "Oh, I have to drive somewhere. 20 minutes. I'm gonna listen to an entire Joyce Manor record." And they're really just like they're not the first band to have a short album, but it made it very accessible to listeners. You could listen to a whole record very quickly. And I think I think a record could be at least I think it either minimum ten songs or minimum thirty minutes. Mm-hmm. Like you could have a, a seven song record if it's thirty minutes, or yeah. you could have a ten song record that's like fifteen minutes. Yeah, you know how I told you like uh, it's hard to find information on people that are not famous. Yeah, I looked up your Instagram and I was like, oh shit! On April eighteen in twenty fourteen, you wrote on Instagram you're like rye whiskey, and I was like, aha! <laughs> so it <laughs> must be an old song. But but then then I checked the video clip of the song, and then in the description you write, "This was a sketchy song I pl- I wrote in like 2013." I was like, "Ah oh, shit! I thought I had like some cool information, but no, it was written a long time ago." It was yeah that was uh, I probably wrote that in 2013 yeah like April 2013. So you mentioned Lost Love is about how you were had a time in your life you were younger you got out of this big relationship very formative year as you're kind of growing and that's not really where you wound up but that's where you started. Mm-hmm. Rye whiskey was from a time in my life but I was 24. So if you know my song Therapy by Cold Rex, when I was 24, I was fucking up everything. It's about, that's from the rye whiskey time in my life where I'd gone through this big breakup with this person I'd been with for a, while, a long time. And rye whiskey was, <laughs> I had I had this night with a, a really close friend of mine at the time and we got way too drunk off rye whiskey. We just went down, I lived near this street, Cortelu uh, is the name of the street in a neighborhood of, uh, it's like Kensington, Ditmas Park, Brooklyn, more Southern kind of Brooklyn, South of Park Slope. Um, 
and we just went down the street. We went to a ton of bars. We drank rye whiskey at this one bar, and we got way too drunk. We came home. Um, well, we came into my apartment, and I listened to. Well, I, I set up my recording equipment, and it was my friend Colin. I uh, they played in a band called Togs. They used to play in a band called High Falls. And Colin started playing my guitar and like recording stuff, and you could hear me in the background like dry heaving in the bathroom. <laughs> it's a very bad night for Craig. Not something mm. I'm proud of, but I had this feeling that I felt very bad. And then I had a conversation with the person I broke up with like a day or two later that made me. It reminded me of that feeling, and and nothing against them. I don't have anything against them, but like it's more of like the feelings I had at the time going through a breakup. Everyone feels bad and has certain feelings. And ultimately you might be like, Oh yeah, it's just how I felt at the time. I don't actually have anything against that person, but rye whiskey, you're like rye whiskey. You make me sick. You're like rye whiskey. I always ask for it. Yeah. Well, it's always, always like my fault. So like oh, rye okay, whiskey, okay, like okay. if you, if you get sick from drinking, you know, uh, at least in my situation, I felt like it's my fault. Like I had that night, I ordered those when, drinks. I yeah. When them. I, when I heard it, like now we click when you said it and I was like, oh yeah, okay. But when I heard it the first time, I was like, I always ask for it. I always ask for what? <laughs> oh man, no. <laughs> but, it's, no, no. It, but it's like asking for it, the idiom, like the the expression. Like, I asked for that conversation that made me feel sick the way I asked for the rye whiskey yeah. that made yeah, me yeah, feel no, sick. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> That's sort of, uh, do you still have top numbers on your phone? Like in your phone, do you still? That was, I think we've all had this, I think like maybe like mid, I think like around 2010 to 2017, we probably all had like smartphones that would be like, oh, do you want to text your ex? And you're like, no, I don't want that because your phone is just like, you've texted this person a lot. And like, I would never do that. But at least around the time I wrote it, there was a thing called top numbers in my Android phone. And that person always came up. Um, And it's just, you know, when you're going through a breakup, you don't want to see their name or anything. So it's just one of those things. Um, and again, nothing against that person. This is a very immature breakup song from a long time ago. Uh, but yeah, at the time, that's how, how I felt. And, and was, But that was a sketchy song. And uh, I like playing that song because sometimes Chris Schultz, who was the singer of Sketchy, will, will, I mean, we haven't played shows in a while, but he'll, if he's at my show and I play that song, he gets so hype. It's so fun. He'll like come up and sing it. It's a good time. Nice. Now we're at the park where we're going to talk about creativity. <laughs> I dig it. What is a uh, creativity? Like if you, ha- what is creativity to you? And like, if you had to describe creativity to someone who's never heard the wor- word or like an alien, how would you describe creativity? And there's no good answer. It's just like, how would you describe it? That's a very good question. I think creativity is being open-minded and exploring and trying things. And you don't always know where you're going to wind up. And I think that's creativity, just being open-minded and trying new things. And you don't always know where you're going to wind up. Yep. That's creativity. <laughs> do you think everyone is creative or do you think everyone has the potential to become more creative or less creative? Or is it like, do you think like, yeah. I think that people go crazy when they're like repressed. Like there are people who are in certain religions where it's like, you have to live this way. And you hear about stories of those people going crazy or doing things that are viewed as like deviant. And I think those people do those things because they don't have an open space. And like uh, Bruce Springsteen put out a book a couple of years ago and he write, he talks about how having music as an outlet helped him to be self-reflective. And I feel the same way. I could look back at Rye Whiskey. Wow, what an immature breakup song. What an immature part of my life. 
and I get to have that. And I could like literally see when was the song released? What was that band like? Well, you know, all that stuff. I could literally check my progress throughout my adulthood by like the songs that I'm putting out and the things I'm writing about. So I think everyone has the capacity to be more creative. I think creativity could be anything. Like my girlfriend loves to cook. That's creative. That's like, I mean, Vizzy also it, like it, loves to it cook. Can, yeah, it can be creative. I like to think that uh, you can be creative, and I probably will mention this every podcast that I make to all of my guests, but I, I like to think that you can be creative with almost everything. Like, yeah, even definitely. if you have, even if you're, uh, like, whatever your job is, you can find a way to do stuff in a creative way or find, and if you can't, I think maybe, I don't know. I don't know. I think there's I, always a way to try to find. Yeah, go 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 for it. When I was in high school, I had a job at um, like an office supply chain called Staples, and no, I remember. I, hey, I worked at Staples when I was in high school too. You were disabled. We both were disabled in high school. <laughs> I don't I, know if I, I have the red shirt anymore. Do you? I no, I don't. <laughs> I don't know. My sister used it for Halloween a couple of years. Yeah, two years. My, my senior year of high school, and then the and then well, I guess the summer before senior year of high school, and then throughout my senior year of high school, and then. Before college, um, I worked at Staples, and that was eye-opening to me. <laughs> yeah? How come? Um, I realized that I didn't want to keep working at Staples, and no disrespect to anybody who has any kind of job ever, but I was like, I think that I might have some options beyond this, and I don't really want to work in this kind of yeah. environment. Hmm. Because like it's, it's a grind, right? Any job that's a grind where you just work hard all day, no matter what, it saps your ability to be creative later. It's just It just wears you down. So if you could avoid working a job like that, I mean, that would be ideal. Now, I want to be very realistic about a lot of the kinds of jobs that people have and why. So it's not a judgment. It's just like if you could avoid working a job that you feel wears you down, maybe you would want to avoid it. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of, that's why, okay, that's that's kind of why I, I, I want to believe that there's a way to be creative in every job and that like, for example, Staples could find a way to have, like their employees more happy by finding creative ways to challenge them to do creative stuff not oriented to make more money because money will come eventually if everybody's like hey welcome to staples it's nice working here <laughs> like of course if i get into a state like if i enter a staples and the person's like it's nice working here dude you should like it's cool and i'd be like wow i want to come here more often now i go there and, and i'm like oh shit it's I, honestly, it's depressing. I, well, I, this is like a smell to it. I feel like the people, I feel like the reasons why I was good at working at Staples are the same reasons I'm good at my current job. And that like, I'm good at working with people, understanding what they want and trying to answer their questions. Um, but the reason I brought it up is I remember what's, talking what's to a woman. Job? Yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah. So I remember talking to a woman at Staples and we're in the aisle that had like all the, the filing folders, like you put in a filing cabinet. Good and. Aisle. And she was an accountant. And at this point in my life, I was actually, I was originally an accounting major in college. And I don't like accounting personally. If you like it, that's great. It's a good career. I hated it. I hated it. Um, but I was talking to this woman who was an accountant and she said she had a good life. It was a good job, but she wished it was more creative. And I remember thinking, well, it could be more creative, I guess. If you, I just remember thinking that like in an effort to be more creative, this woman might have like gotten different colored filing cabinet like files or folders or whatever and like mm -hmm. i just remember thinking about that wow but there's another dude i work with the stables and his name was dave and i don't know what happened to him but he was a little older and he hated being an adult he hated it um 
and he would write just joke parody songs. And he wrote a parody of the song Surfing USA, and he, it was Staples USA. And I remember that to this day. And he was a cool dude. He was super nice to me. There's a lot of people who worked there who were really cool and really nice. There was also a guy who got fired for drinking on the job. So maybe you don't do that if you could help it. But, like, I just, like, I remember... Um, <laughs> Um, speaking of how to be creative at your job, even if it's not a creative job, um, so at Staples, they'll like store things high up, like chairs and things. And I remember I would go high up because I was bored and I was in high school. Um, and like above the light, someone had taken a Sharpie and written on the light. And I'm an, I, I could swear on this podcast. That's I'm assuming that's okay. Yeah. Okay. Someone wrote in black Sharpie at the top of this light. This is a quote. These are not my words. I would not describe someone this way. They wrote. Jerry is a fat cock. And I was like, what the fuck? And I found the manager at the time. Um, He's a and fat cock. I was like, hey, I saw someone wrote on top of this light in Black Sharpie. It says Jerry is a fat cock. What's that about? And she Who's said, Jerry? she said Jerry used to be a manager there. And that's all she said. Oh. <laughs> so I'm assuming, but like that was a way for someone to be creative. They felt repressed. They didn't like working for this guy. I never met him. I don't know. Maybe he was great. I, I don't know. Um, oh the other the other creative thing now that we're talking about stables I think people find ways to be creative at any job um, people there was a, an air conditioner and the company had like res something in it something Resner and someone wrote Trent in front of Resner so it said Trent Resner on this air conditioning unit and I thought that was really funny ooh interesting so singer people from Nine work. Inch Nails yeah. yeah people were creative at this stable <laughs> what's, what's your job right now? I'm a I'm an operations manager at a financial technology startup. Uh, <laughs> if you have questions about financial technology, we could talk off the podcast about that. But I mean, everyone in Colmex is a desk job. I I find it. I mean, if you're an American, you know, we don't have any access to like reasonable healthcare most of the time unless we have a decent job. So there's a lot of incentive to have a desk job. And mm-hmm. Jesse Cannon. I think has been a, a host of podcasts, I think, or has been on it called like killed by the desk. And it's just all about punk rockers and they're like day jobs. Do you believe the USA will someday have um healthcare system that allows everybody to have a free or kind of free healthcare? I truly don't know. I think it would make so much sense. So I remember like uh, being an economics student, like day one, they're like here, are all the things that make sense and here's why they won't happen because there's a profit incentive for health insurance companies uh-huh. to not have a public option. But employer health insurance was a thing that, well, first of all, healthcare wasn't like a thing until like the early 1900s in like a way that was helpful. And then employer healthcare was a thing that started after I think like World War II to try to attract people to jobs. And it's just, it's like tips in America. I mean, you have tips in Canada too, but like tipping was a thing like, oh, we it's can't different. pay people more. Well, yeah, it, it was like a, a thing that's, and it kind of became a tradition, but the reality of it is, is it's it just a way to exploit people. Yeah. Um, the thing that I'm, okay, so like there, there's people that have been talking about the healthcare in, in the mm-hmm. US and like some people are like looking at the other countries that are, have good and free, or like mm-hmm. relatively free healthcare. And the, the like even if you don't go there, even if you don't go to being free, the thing that I'm like, I can get my head around is like, how can somebody that makes like minimum wage have to pay half a million dollars because they got into an accident? That's 
that's insane to me. Like if, if, if like you go to the hospital and then after that, well, oh, you're going to go bankrupt. It, well, it's like, there's degrees to that. There's degrees to that, right? Because depending on your state, you might have Medicaid if you're very, if you make very little money. So New York state actually has a pretty good Medicaid program, which is really cool. But some states, even though the federal government will pay for them, like I think Kentucky, I could be wrong, or like especially like Kansas, they'll say like no to these these federal Medicaid expansions. But it's like free money for the states from the federal government. But they say no. It's like a, oh, well, I don't I don't want people to depend on the government. But it's like this completely ridiculous made up construct. Hmm. I would like for everyone to have health care, and we have the money for it. We have billionaires. Jeff Bezos is like, how can I also go to space? And it's like. You don't have to go to space, my dude. Just like, it's the same. I've been watching this. We're going to go off topic. I've been watching the sci-fi show, The Expanse, which I love. And like, I think the big theme of The Expanse is humans always want more. That's an economic economics thing. Humans have yep. unlimited wants. And in, in pursuit of more, we lose sight of things that could actually make a lot of people's lives better, like universal health care that we certainly have the resources to pay for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know, whatever, I don't know. What going do back know? to your going back to your desk job, do you yeah. is there creativity involved in your desk job? Um, so yeah, I have like more of like a startup type environment, so I feel like there is if I want to change things, I, I could be like, Hey, what if we did this like that? And my boss is usually like, Yeah, go for it or I can tell him I would love something like this and then he'll like build it for me because he, he's pretty good at tech. So um yeah, I feel like there so is what, there what is, is it exactly that you do, like on a day to day basis? Like you work from home? Oh, I do work from home. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess a financial technology company. Um, so like, you know, you punks don't like about talking it. about lending. I can talk about it, but you know, I don't it's know. Not interesting. It's, uh, I think it could be interesting, but maybe not in the context of a music creativity okay. podcast. No, I, I understand. I understand that. Do you have any, uh, do you feel, so you write three songs a year? So uh, I write three good songs a year. You write three good songs a year. Do you, do you sometimes feel that uh, you have like you're in a hole and you don't have any creativity around you? How can you make sure that you stay creative? How can you put yourself in that environment of like, yeah, I'm going to write a song. I'm going to do you ever do that or does it just come and go like the inspiration? Life comes at you fast. Um, I, I was worried um, that I would not like when I started therapy, I was worried I wouldn't be able to write songs anymore. When I bought a house with my fiance, I was worried things would be too stable and I wouldn't be able to write songs anymore. But life is hard and there are always new experiences and it's always hard to express how you're feeling or to process new things. So I, I, I worry sometimes I'll run out of inspiration, but I think the reality is I'll always be able to write three songs, three decent songs a year about something. Something will come up that makes me feel a certain way. That's just the human experience. Hmm. Yeah. I, I've been worried about, um, well, I'm not worried anymore about this, but a few years ago I thought, hmm, at some point will I be too old? Like, and I don't even mean like really old, like, I don't know, at 38, will I be like, nope, that's, I don't have any more songs to write, that's it? Or will I, for the rest of my life, will I always have this urge to like write songs? And uh, yeah, because I write, like you say, three good, you say three good songs a year. I don't know how yeah. many good songs I write a year, but. Well, probably... you're in Lost Love, so you're, you're the only one writing songs, right? Yeah, yeah. So Cold Rex, it's me and Vizzy. So Vizzy, he's written like a billion songs this year, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, I, like yeah. this, I have my Patreon that I write one new song every month. That's great. 
and like I don't know, I probably write thirty or more songs every year. So, but I don't know. It's something that I've been thinking of, but it's I've never had to put myself in like a creative zone or anything. It just comes, and I'm like, yeah, all right, I'll write this down. Like, well, everyone's different with that. So Jeff Rosenstock, who we both like, he's prolific. He writes a lot, a lot of songs, and he's like written about his experience with that. And I'm just not that way, and that's okay. But yeah. like some people are, and I think that's great. I think everyone should write as many songs as possible. I think you you might live your life in a way where you're it's more conducive to being creative than say how i love my life which is like you know i i think is great like not a judgment by any means or, or you know you might just be like more prone to being more creative than i am hmm. i need something to say for me it came from like my family's emotional trauma like the way my parents communicated what it was like to live in my household um i, I don't want to get like like oh things are so bad or anything like that like i have a lot of privilege that i want to acknowledge but like that's where my songwriting came from where i wrote when i started writing songs that people liked and i noticed the difference was when i wrote about that kind of emotional pain that sort of family dysfunction oh. that's where i saw a response from people that's what people respond to that's what people like i don't seek it out i'm not like i'm gonna fight with my dad so i can write a song about it i'm not gonna do that but if I fight with my dad and I feel like they need to write a song about it, like maybe I don't want to buy him a soda. Um, you know, I'll write that song. Um. <laughs> this is a fun podcast. Oh, yeah. Busy was the first person to point out to me that it was a little bit weird. Um, we were like hanging out in college and I was like, I had to pick up my dad a soda. And he was like, why can't your dad pick up his own soda? And I was like, oh, it is a little weird, isn't that? This thing's growing up. Yeah, you know, things growing up where like you don't realize they're off. Like, every family vacation, my mom did everything with me and my sister. Like, I never thought that was weird. And then later, you're like, oh, that's gotta, that kind of sucked for my mom that, like, my dad didn't participate in vacations, really. So, hmm. a lot of my songs come from that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah. Yep. But there's always... You're, some, you're, yeah. a true, you're a true artist because you had problems <laughs> with your dad. That's that's great. That's I mean, therapy great. is about my dad. He knows it. We've talked about it. <laughs> Oh my god! I have a good yeah. relationship with him. We get along very well. I don't want to like yeah, mislead anybody. Yeah, I bet, I bet anybody. you do. Yeah, but but I also he has also led me to write some songs. So. Yeah. Well, it's. I'm not gonna blame it on this, but I'm gonna explain it with this. I, I it's a different generation, I guess. It's like. Well, I would say if it was easy to describe, I probably wouldn't have written so many songs about it. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're definitely right on this. Do you have any? Craig, uh, I think we're getting... It's been a while, I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm pushing back yeah, dinner think, time. Yeah, an hour and 30 minutes. I, th I told myself, like, yeah, I'm going to do this podcast. It's going to be an hour long, not more. I don't shut and, up. I'm so sorry. I don't I, shut up. I'm so sorry. No, no, it's cool. It's cool. I like it. An hour an hour and a half, it's it's all it's all good. Edit it's, out whatever you want to edit out. <laughs> I, I might. I might not. What's uh, Any future projects? Any uh, Anything people should check out? It's post-COVID, so I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Yeah, okay, Colrex has an idea. Colrex has an idea that it's really cool. Vizzy wrote in, uh, a lot of songs that he's calling the Death Suite. It's a concept EP. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk, but whatever. I don't care. I'm talking about it. It's called the Death Suite. It's about like grief and dealing with death, and I think it's really interesting and cool. And usually with Coldrex, we trade off who writes songs, but he has a vision. And I think part of being creative is saying yes when someone has a vision, seeing it through. So I said yes to an EP of just that. And then we're going to do another EP that's more typical Coldrex, me and him. 
and then we're going to release them separately. And then um, maybe we'll release the whole thing as like a whole album on vinyl at some point. So I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it. I don't really care. We don't have a manager. We're not on a label. Nothing matters. So that is our Cold Rex's current creative plan. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. I think it's a good I idea. Hope it will. That's a really good idea. I like it. That's sweet. It's so interesting. Oh man, I'm like already learning the songs. I'm excited. I'm even... If I'm excited about it, other people might be excited about it. Yeah, definitely. You know. All right. This this has been a fun podcast. Thank you, Craig. Yeah. Thanks um, for letting me talk about not the topic of the podcast for like an hour and a half. <laughs> that's 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 ex- excellent. Excellent. All right. Uh, thank you, Craig, and uh, thank you everyone for, if you have been listening for the whole thing. It's very great. Thanks for listening to this.